Hello there. Welcome to Clear Meditorial, the introduction to the September edition of Clinical Medicine, the Journal of the Royal College of Physicians. My name is Anthony Emanuel, and it is my pleasure to uh, introduce you to some of the content that is in uh, the print and online version of the journal uh, for September 2020. And if there was um, a theme to some of the papers that we have, it would be this idea around how technology is key to transformation of service. Now, technology obviously is going to influence how we lead our lives and already has and will do into the future. But specifically in medicine, we are at that kind of dichotomy of being a science, therefore embracing what is new and improving quality, therefore, but also rooting that in the clinical method that has been handed down to us. And there are a couple of quality improvement papers I'd like to showcase, if I may. Um, one is from some urology colleagues in Oxford um, and looks at the technique of lumbar puncture, which for many hasn't changed much over the years, but we know that there are safer, uh, better ways of doing this. And when the group tried to introduce a kind of formal learning uh, and uh, educational audit type experience, they found that any changes observed were transient and didn't really uh, cut through and sustain uh, long-term changes in practice. And what they describe therefore in this paper is how simply changing the defaults, changing what's available has resulted in change in practice for the better. And I think that sense of being able to alter function using some very simple uh, nudge methodology um, of established science is of course technology. It may not seem like very advanced technology, but of course that it is um, because it alters the kind of behavioral science of how we practice. There's also another aspect of that in a different paper from colleagues uh, in Salford uh, looking at the issue around um, atrial fibrillation and stroke and essentially looking at the question of whether cardiac monitoring um, on a stroke unit could be undertaken effectively and safely. And again, what they show is that this seemingly low-tech uh, approach uh, to changing uh, what we consider as established behavior is a way of applying technology in a beneficial way. At the other end of the spectrum is a very I think important uh, review paper we've been uh, delighted to publish uh, looking at the technological um, advances in diabetes. Many of us who are involved in a general medical setting will see patients coming through with devices and monitoring which is different to that which we uh, grew up with in our training and this is a really timely piece by uh, Hussein and Lee summarizing how uh, treatment is being delivered for our patients and how uh, that advance in their being able to monitor and maintain their chronic illness is influencing their lives but also has an impact on our own experience of treating them for our own subspeciality conditions um, and medicine. There's one other technological thing I'd like to point to in terms of the papers we have, which is a paper around um, CT and PET scanning in patients with a pyrexia of unknown origin and essentially looks at the, the diagnostic utility of uh, PET CT scanning uh, with uh, FFDG and showing that essentially we're able to improve uh, accuracy and efficiency of identifying the ecological cause of PUO despite the fact that there are costs 
um, and training implications of this. Um, this study from Northeast China is an important one to uh, generate data on sensitivity and specificity so that I think actually for those of us who don't have access to such a service, it points to the need to, to develop this. So much of this is about looking at old technologies, but some new technologies all there, which we would like to um, showcase. And I think that's one of the, for me, the joys of being uh, editor of the journal. Um, we tend to practice within our own clinical area, of course, but are touched by uh, patients who experience often, which is greater than our own, of their own technology and their own diseases. Um, and I think focusing on the technology is often a simple starting point for us to then get a better handle on quality of life for that patient. So I genuinely feel that understanding the basic principles of this is a way of moving forward. But again, I'm open to that uh, debate that may arise from some of you saying, goodness sake, all of this is essentially about clinical process and all this technology gets in the way, understanding tests better gets in the way. It's a comment that comes to me on social media and in some of the letters we receive. And I engage with that on a direct personal basis, but I'm interested in the more uh, general approach that uh, is taken uh, by us all in this. So again, please read, please send in your thoughts if you feel that actually uh, we're missing the point. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be a journal which publishes the brand new latest uh, studies on, um, on emerging technology, but what I see our role is, is being there to reflect uh, what is important in practice. I also would like to point out something quite different um, in the journal, uh, which is a recurring feature and for me one of the really important uh, areas and probably again one which we get uh, most comment on, which is uh, the cases of the month. Clinicians are always driven by clinical material, uh, slides, uh, radiographs, um, case histories, and that old-fashioned language is deliberately used because, again, my belief is that much of um, how we practice is still rooted in that um, ancient method. Um, and I think, therefore, it's always interesting to see um, how other people have experienced um, patient histories and what they've learned from it. And what I think is different in some ways is that the diagnoses we arrive at from these methodologies are often quite an unusual. We're used to thinking about sort of the narrow diagnostic um, sieving that occurs in response to symptoms. But when you look at some of the titles of the um, case of the month or lessons of the month, there are diagnoses of pyroglotomac acidosis, metemoglobinemia, uh, Wernicke's uh, relapsing um, seronegative symmetrical synovitis. All these may seem like somewhat esoteric diagnoses, but actually they are all true uh, findings rooted in that original common presentation. And one of the roles we're very proud to play in the journal is being that voice that says, here's how that basics of history and assessment and first-line investigations can point you to the things where there is a more subtle uh, presentation uh, than the one that we are used to thinking of. It isn't always a meagerous headache or a functional abdominal pain. And I'm so delighted to have some content along those lines. I'd be remiss not to point out the COVID content that is in the journal. There are, I think, really 
interesting manuscripts here, really uh, thought-provoking as we move into uh, the next phases of the pandemic. Uh, a pair of papers separately from the UK looking at uh, nosocomial transmission within hospitals uh, and how that arises from our routine ward practice and what's our responsibility as clinicians in managing this. There's an interesting paper on point-of-care ultrasound for healthcare workers in terms of COVID. Um, many papers published about ultrasound of the lungs during the height of the pandemic, but now trying to understand uh, how this may be emerging in the second phases as a test of healthcare workers, which I'd really encourage people to read. There's interesting paper on uh, people and patients and subjects who refuse to undergo viral testing uh, during the pandemic and what's our responsibility in that situation and what can we learn um, from our, to influence our practice. There are important uh, predictive models also shown of bed occupancy um, in relationship to thrombolysis um, for uh, myocardial infarction presentations during um, the uh, pandemic. And all in all, I think as clinicians, we're all gearing up our practice for um, what may happen next in terms of acute admissions whilst trying to maintain some service. We don't have the luxury necessarily of being able to shut things down uh, as completely as we did in the first phase. And so how we um, learn about transmission within the wards, how we learn to maintain outpatient services, how we learn to optimize admissions as they come in, in some ways, we could regard ourselves as having been fortunate to have had many fewer acute non-COVID admissions. We may not be so fortunate in subsequent uh, phases. So how do we manage uh, beds? What can we learn from that? And we also have some interesting papers looking at uh, what's emerging about the science around COVID. Um, a paper from um, colleagues looking at um, what we know about von Willebrand factor as the marker of endothelial damage uh, and thrombotic risk. Uh, and finally, I'd like to um, sign off by thanking you, thanking all the editorial team, uh, and in particular for this edition, uh, we're lucky to have had um, Sushma Saxena, our Associate Editor for Liver Medicine, curate alongside uh, two uh, younger colleagues, uh, James Ferguson and Abhishek Chowan, a really outstanding CME on hepatology. Uh, it reads like a, a up-to-date mini textbook um, for trainees and for those clinicians uh, to update ourselves on uh, what's new in uh, liver medicine. Um, so thanks very much. I hope you enjoy interacting with the journal and please in turn do feedback to us, uh, social media, letters. They are welcomed and will all be responded to um, by myself and the team. Thanks again and best wishes.